This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome, everyone. This is the Retail Insider Podcast. We have a special guest today. It's uh, Jeannie Becker. She's a fashion icon in Canada and has uh, quite a history uh, in the fashion space all over the place from, of course, fashion television, TV to uh, having your own fashion line. And uh, you got started actually in the world of fashion. I think we're just talking at the Yorkdale Shopping Center. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of people know that. That hasn't really been publicized. Yeah, my first job uh, in retail was uh, at Fairweathers at Yorkdale. And that was back in the day when Fairweathers had this really cool uh, shop inside it called Big Steel that had all that mod clothing. And oh, it was just very heady days of great, great time in fashion, uh, a great time for Canadian retail. I think, uh, you know, Fairweathers was uh, quite a going concern. And, and Yorkdale was the most glamorous thing we'd ever seen you know all of us kids in the suburbs in the late 60s uh it's still pretty glamorous so yeah 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 well now it's got the luxury stores um when because i've seen old pictures of yorkdale it's funny if you're in the mall and if you're they have these photos like when you're going down the hallways towards the large washrooms that they have (laughs) and i remember seeing the they had a photo of the you know the fairweather store i think it was a whole rent through either next to it or nearby yeah, I don't recall the Holt Renfrew. That would have been way beyond my league back in the day. You know, I didn't shop at Holt. But I had my Sweet 16 at Yorkdale, my actually Sweet 16 party. There was a restaurant called uh, the the Encore. It was a, a part of a, a restaurant chain called the Noshery, mm-hmm. the Noshery Encore. And down in the basement, they had a great party room. So I had a, a real big bash down there when I was... Uh, 16 years old, wow. 1968. You do the math. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is so cool. And it's interesting. I'll show you a picture sometimes. Great pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, York, and Yorkdale's had so much history in terms of uh, uh, fashion. I, I, I actually read, well, I read two books uh, over the Christmas holidays. One was about Eaton's and one was about Simpsons. And uh, Yorkdale played very, very prominently in there because Eaton's had been the original developer and brought Simpsons in as a partner. And uh, um, from there, he created, you know, a large shopping center uh, that shopping center has morphed over the years uh, in a really interesting way. And uh, it is what it is today in terms of there's a, it's got actually, I'd say that's the highest concentration of luxury brands in the country and, wow. and they're big ones. Yeah. So interesting. And whoever would have thought that that market would really thrive in a suburban type of location like that. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, you always think of the, uh, the luxury boutiques really taking off on, on a high street, you know, in the, anyway, all very interesting, but again, a great mall and uh, they do have some great stores in there these days. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Um, but, you know, things have changed. I mean, we've got this pandemic, so we, we were, Moving along, there was a world of fashion. We had events and, you know, there was a lot of CNBC, you know, in Toronto and other cities in Canada. I think things have really changed. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the future of fashion as, uh, you know, society kind of morphs into this uh, new reality. Yeah, well, we sort of um, hope that uh, this new reality will kind of be just temporary. Although in some ways, you know, we've been changed forever. You know, it's almost like the the genie's out of the bottle, you know, Pandora's box has been opened. And now that we can see, we can move through the world in, uh, in different new ways, you know, thanks to technology. I I don't know, you know, I I don't think we're ever going to go back to exactly the way it was. Um, You know, but that being said, I, 
I still want to maintain hope that fashion will uh, play an increasingly uh, important role in our lives in terms of lifting spirits and people getting excited about that self-expression and and the fashion's potential in that arena. Uh, you know, it's like people talk about the this Spanish influenza and just how much um, it really equipped people to go into the, the roaring 20s with such gusto. You know, once that ended, everyone just couldn't wait to get dressed up and strut it and, yeah, and really go crazy. And it had a wonderful uh, effect on fashion. I'm hoping that is what will happen this time around. Yeah, yeah, because I think after the influenza and after World War One, we saw a real, you know, the couture houses really gain that power again in France and the other designers in the UK. I, I read Couture to Commerce over the Christmas holidays as well and other books. So I, I went on a reading rampage. I, I thought it was really fascinating because, again, we saw this move to uh, craftsmanship and fashion. And uh, uh, I was honestly blown away by how much people spent on clothing in terms of their overall household budget. Uh, in some cases it was approaching 20%, which is yeah. would be fairly unheard of today. Well, I shouldn't say that perhaps someone in, in a bit of a lower income bracket who likes a lot of clothing may spend that much, but typically that percentage now I think is about 3% and we have something like six to eight times the amount of clothing that we would have had say in the four, 1940s, yeah. 1950s. Yeah. But that being said too, you know, this kind of woke sensibility has certainly crept into the fray. And I think we're really realizing that we don't need that much. And it's sort of, shocking, sinful, harmful to the planet that we've uh, become such a materialistic society. And especially uh, in the fashion department, I think there's a growing sentiment that less is more. And uh, we want things of quality and we don't want that disposable fashion that came so fast and furious. You know, fast fashion uh, really is not good for the planet. And hopefully we're moving away from that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and fast fashion sort of, you know, well, it came in quite quickly. I remember visiting the first, I think, H&M store in North America. I was in New York in 2002. And <laughs> this was, you know, kind of a new concept, but it was basically cheap, not the best quality stuff. And uh, uh, I think inexpensive is the term we're supposed to use, but I, I think cheap's pretty accurate. <laughs> but uh, and then and it just proliferated. Zara came in, uh, uh, re retail really changed. And they were, I don't want to say knocking off the big designers, but certainly the designs were influenced by what we were seeing on the runways in, uh, in, in Paris and New York and London. And Oh, totally. I mean, totally, totally, totally. It was just the minute uh, something came down a runway, you know, within hours, the, the the drawings, you know, at one point it was just maybe just sketches that would be, you know, transported to uh, to factories and in far flung places. But, you know, and then with the advent of uh, technology and people sitting in the front row with their cameras going and their phones on and yeah, all of a sudden you could really um, copy what was going down the runway, uh, you know, cheaply but and not it, it was never uh you know as good as the real thing that's for sure but yeah no i know it I, you know it's funny because i sometimes feel almost uh, a little just because of my role with fashion television and the role that that show played at that time um you know which was really pre-internet when we started out in the mid 80s we really um, advocated for the democratization of fashion because suddenly this arena that was a very 
kind of um, elitist arena that you had to have a, you know, a special invite to get into the shows. And, you, you know, all of a sudden we were bringing it into people's living rooms across not only across the nation, but around the world. We were like syndicated in 130 different countries. And all of a sudden fashion became so accessible and, you know, which was a great thing because why should fashion be reserved for, you know, just a, a precious few. Um, but, but then again, it started after a few years to just kind of become so common. And, uh, and then, the, uh, you know, there was a lot of homogeny that crept into the picture and you know I, I really didn't like where fashion was going for a while I think this um reset because I think we are in in a kind of a reset mm. has and will continue to do some wonderful things for fashion because it's made us stop at our tracks and realize what is really important and uh what true quality really means and uh what true craftsmanship um really has the potential to mean to us and, and the, you know, the artisanal movement and uh, the whole sustainability uh, conversation has really catapulted fashion into a, another brave new direction. So I think it's, it's you know, very interesting uh, times indeed. Uh, there's, you know, big, big changes afoot, I'm sure. You know, one thing though that I really feel more than ever uh, is the, the level of creativity. I think there's an incredible, and this is from not only established designers who are just, you know, kind of chomping at the bit to get great new ideas out there, but from a lot of the young talent, we've got some phenomenal young talent um, in the world, but especially in this country. And uh, I think they're determined to make their voices heard. So We'll see how they go about doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of them are doing it digitally native to start or they're starting online and then looking where to go mm -hmm. from there. Um, but, you know, because I think a lot of people, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, you know, back in the old days growing up, you wanted to be, uh, I'm going to sound so shallow when I say this, but I think you really wanted to be rich and famous. I, I think even if you were creative and artistic, but it was, there was something about that. Like you wanted to, I'm going to make a lot of money so I can do what I want to do. And I'm going to be really famous. And I'm going to get my name out there. And I think now there's a different value system in place almost. I mean, I even see it with my own kids who are both very creative, but their um, mission isn't to be rich and famous. Uh, sadly, <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I sometimes wish that, you know, Yes, go for it. <laughs> but um, honestly, I think it, it's uh, it's pretty sweet to think that there's a new generation now that really uh, has a priority, have their priorities in a in a much um, more sane, grounded place. And I think that's interesting because it'll make for great uh, artistry, and uh, they won't maybe be as distracted by all the the hype and the BS that uh, some people of my generation were distracted by. Yeah, I mean, things have, things have changed. I think it's partly social media and it's just, I think, ideas mm -hmm. coming about, right? Um, we, we have access to more information than we've ever had. And I think that people are hopefully able to evaluate that information. And in some cases, realizing, well, there's a lot more to the world than, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, which was a really popular show. <laughs> now we might look at that as being a little bit garish in some respects. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but th there was certainly some, uh, you know, excess uh, uh, that was out there. And uh, <laughs> but listen, there's still a lot of excess that's out there. Let's not fool ourselves. 
I just did a, a, a great interview with uh, Ferris Rafali, a fabulous um, architectural designer, a very young guy. I don't even think he's 40, so like 39 years old. Uh, from Toronto, grew up in Toronto, and he designed Drake's house, that $100 million mansion in the bridal path. And Ferris is now designing uh, incredible homes for people all over the world. And it's all about that kind of opulence. Uh, I, I don't like to use that word because it sort of has negative connotations, but you know, it's really all about um, uh, luxury big time, big time luxury. So there is still is, you know, definitely, definitely, definitely a market for that, that stuff. But then there's also that other wonderful movement of people that just want to get back to the earth and want to get, you know, get back to nature and, and really want a kind of a handmade homemade feel to what they're doing. So it's, it's great to have that yin and yang yeah, and I think that's come, you know, people have realized the value of craftsmanship as we had mass production. And because I think mass production was part of that societal progression that we were seeing where we're like, oh, we can pretty much get anything we want. I mean, 3D printers have become a thing in terms of you can reproduce things. It's become really, really. But now, like I know for yourself, you're actually knitting, knitting some scarves like this is like a, a human made <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Want to see my latest? It's in the next room. Oh, no, I just, I'm very meditative you know that whole act of knitting where you just you know in every uh stitch especially with these scarves that i'm knitting for friends and family i'm thinking of the person as i knit it and you know what a brilliant gift to give someone i mean you you can't buy it i mean of course you can buy handmade stuff but you know when you really know the person that it's coming from and that the person made it especially for you with you in mind and and then um like i said the beautiful therapeutic quality it's a very um you're, you're really kind of in the moment with knitting I, I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. Looking at the way society is right now, we've got, you know, I'm not going to the same events that I used to go to. Um, I, I used to go out a lot. Well, I, I actually, Jeannie, I met you at an event. That's the first time we met. You know, we used to all go out and do things. Uh, just going for a walk, meeting friends for lunch, uh, going to work. These are places that people wear clothing. The, the world has changed a little bit right now. I'm wondering where things will go. Aren't we all? I mean, aren't we all? If only we had a crystal ball. Uh, I do believe, though, that that clothing will always be important to human beings. I mean, we're the only creatures on the planet that do indeed wear garments, you know, that get dressed up. So there's uh, there's something to be said for that. I think clothes have come to um, mean so much to us uh, and, you know, emotionally, emotionally. Uh, Psychologically, uh, clothing has such great transformative potential and powers. You really, you know, just, wow, put on a new outfit and you feel like a million bucks or something that it's not only about the way it looks sometimes, but really about the way it feels, especially now, you know, we're talking about this new luxury and new luxury is very much about comfort and the way, you know, fabrications feel against the skin and, and even if no one else, you know, sees the details inside your beautifully crafted garment, you know, if you know they're there, that becomes a luxury. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think clothing, garments, fashion uh, and certainly accessories will always be important to us because I, I think it's just part of human culture, even though society, you know, changes and things come and go in waves. Uh, 
I'm, I'm not counting on, uh, you know, the, the fashion industry totally shutting down anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, we've had forecasts that we'll see technology that's merged into fashion, but, you know, we're certainly still going to wear clothing, especially in Canada in the winter, <laughs> probably warmer clothing, hopefully. But, but uh, and that's given Canadian designers. I mean, we're uh, Canada's probably the leader in outerwear, I, I would think. Yeah, well, we do produce some pretty fabulous outerwear and uh, there's no question that we know how to you know dress for the cold weather we've uh, we've had to do it and it's becoming increasingly fashionable now and companies like canada goose i mean now they're just releasing a new shoe so they're getting into you know pushing into different areas too or you look at a, a label like moose knuckles that is just absolutely considered the height of arca luxury all around the world today <clears throat> and you know that's something that's originating you know right here in canada too so yeah great coat labels uh, some great great uh, outerwear uh, coming out of this country and rightly so. I mean, we know what we're doing. You know, we well, we produce some great winter boots too. Uh, companies like Pajar at Cougar, um, you know, so that that's that's nice too. You know, we know what we're we're good at. But listen, Greta Constantine, that wonderful label, Kirk Pickerskill and Stephen Wong, mm -hmm. just now as we speak. Uh, I don't know when this will actually drop this podcast, but from talking to you right now in uh, February of of the year um amanda gorman is wearing a greta constantine frock a beautiful yellow frock designed by greta constantine on the cover of time magazine mm -hmm. so like wow for these you know canadian designers are really up there there's no question they're just you know um getting the kind of attention uh, on the world stage that they really so rightly deserve yeah. And I wonder if we'll see more of that because uh, we actually published an, an article, um, oh, I think it was probably three or four years ago. Um, Anjali Patel was involved. She's in fashion and she's, she's a fashion oh, lawyer. I know her well now. She's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, in, in other countries, the fashion industry is quite often funded quite significantly through governments as part of the economic system. This isn't something that we've seen quite so much in Canada. We've got wonderful people like Suzanne Rogers, who, you know, has certainly privately funded things. But we're talking, you know, a, a huge economic system that's, you know, promoted by the government. It's something that we haven't had quite in the same way in Canada as, say, France, uh, which is probably the biggest. Well, that that's a whole other discussion. And that's a huge discussion. And I, um, I, I, I see, you know, both sides of the coin. Um, I think what Angeli and, and a lot of uh, her, you know, colleagues and, and, you know, even me to a certain degree, we're really, really looking for our federal government to consider um, fashion as art, because there are all kinds of grants and great funding for all kinds of artistic uh, endeavors, but fashion is not considered that it's but fashion is not considered like part of the visual arts it's not considered theater although it's very theatrical and it's very visual but it's it really is a business in the mind of the federal government you know first and foremost and i kind of tend to agree with that although there are more and more artistic people getting into the fashion uh, vein but I don't know. So I think what Angeli was talking about, they wanted that kind of recognition. Like if artists can get grants to do their projects, why can't fashion designers do the same? But I think it could be abused. I mean, there's certainly a lot of fashion enterprises that have nothing to do with artistry whatsoever. You know, they really are all about commerce and uh, even the creativity is you know, kind of 
questionable because it's a lot of what they're doing isn't really based on original uh, ideas at all. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a murky kind of uh, area that you're uh, talking about there. Yeah. It's interesting. Yes, it's an area that I'm not as familiar with, but certainly when you walk into a a multi-brand store, there may be Canadian designers there, but certainly, you know, you walk into the Hudson Bay department stores, Ralph Lauren will have a big presence, you know, an American designer. Uh, Downtown, we've got the Couples, you know, it's an international designer. We're very much a a global society, and and it seems like some uh, brands that we're seeing in our retail stores are, well, not Canadian. But you do understand that the reason that there is a huge uh, floor space, let's say, for a label like Ralph Lauren at the, is because they paid for it. Or, you know, I mean, that's how Tommy Hilfiger got his start. Lawrence Stahl, who was a great uh, Canadian entrepreneur that took Tommy under his wing and invested in his business in the early days, made sure that when Tommy came into department stores, he'd have a space like right at the top of the escalator because that's where you want to be because people see you coming and going, you know, on the floor and, and all that costs money, all that kind of placement. Uh, it's not, you know, people are paying for that kind of thing. And that's the problem in this country. We don't have the money. We don't have the population. We just don't have the people. So we're one tenth the size of the U S so everything, you know, if, if we have a presence, you know, in, in a store, it's going to probably be just, you know, we'll have one tenth of the visibility of the bigger American or European uh, brands. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just the way things are. And it's just so hard to play ball with these retailers. You know, I could write a whole book about that because as you know, and you mentioned earlier, I've had my own uh, clothing lines and have seen what uh, the manufacturers have had to, to go through. Um, and I don't know how any young company in this country, you know, unless you've got huge backing from, you know, a rich uncle or, you know, your parents or, or unless you've got into debt yourself or, you, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, starting a label in this country and really playing ball with the big retailers is like, you know, almost impossible, really, really tough. Oh, it's interesting. But some brands get onto the shopping channel, which you're involved with. <laughs> and we want to bring more on. And yeah, what? And doesn't it make perfect sense? For me, especially, you know, having started in fashion television, I mean, TSC is, you know, they call it now today's shopping choice. They rebranded it. It's not the shop, but I still oh. call it the shopping channel. But anyway, we'll call it TSC. <laughs> TSC is the perfect, you know, kind of new generation a fashion television. I mean, not to say that it's as, you know, romantic or, or as poetic or artistic as what we did and saw for, on fashion television, but we are a providing a very, you know, a wonderfully visual platform of, for merchandise. And we're allowing uh, designers or, or brand manufacturers to really tell their stories in a great way. And, and so it's wonderful for the exposure of a brand and more and more, you know, for a while it was like, I don't know, the shopping channel. I don't think I want to go on it, but we've, you know, managed to lure a few uh, designers into our world there and uh, they're loving it and we're loving it. And I think we're going to see more and more. Um, we're certainly working on getting more and more of the, you know, interesting eclectic labels and, and, 
maybe even some smaller labels that can't afford to mass produce whatsoever. But, you know, we can still give them a small spot either on our show. I do a show called Style Matters, where we present a, a whole you know, roster of designers and show you how to mix and match stuff. But also, um, we've got a very strong online uh, presence, too, with tsc.ca. So digitally, we can uh, allow people to tell their stories. It's wonderful. No, no. I mean, it's it's excellent, and uh, um, you know, it's 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 almost w- what we're seeing in terms of streaming shopping now. It's something that I think we've seen more in Asia, where you've got uh, individuals who may be influential, uh, who are basically just explaining things about products. And then, and then with uh, with TSC, uh, you know, my friend Ron White, he was saying when his shoes are on there, he does very well. Uh, People clearly are, are shopping on this on TSC. <laughs> oh, there's no question. There's no question. And especially more and more as we see people moving out of the big cities and they don't have, you know, access to uh, to the stuff, you know, except, you know, online. But they want more than just, you know, the images online. They want they want to see someone interacting with the product and they want to um they want to hear the stories firsthand. So I think, uh, yeah, the success uh, that retailers, uh, or I should say that, that merchants or vendors, as we call them, uh, can have on a platform like ours is, uh, is really phenomenal. And it's just, uh, it's just fun. It's just a feel good thing. You know, it's, uh, it's the best of all, it's the best of retail and the best of uh, media sort of all glommed into one. So it's very, very exciting very exciting place to be. Yeah, no, I, I think there'll be growth, especially as people are shopping remotely in whatever mm. fashion that be, whether or not it's the internet or on Instagram or TikTok. I think we can shop there now. I'm, I'm not quite sure yet, but <laughs> no, I, I'm not even sure what things are there. But but I, I wonder, do you have any predictions for what? So and I'll, I'll explain what I mean first. After World War II, we saw the rise of Christian Dior and we saw the mm. new look. And I'm wondering post maybe maybe COVID-19 isn't a big enough event but I think it's quite disruptive I'm wondering if fashion is going to change again uh we're seeing the rise of vintage this is something that we certainly saw before COVID but people buying secondhand people buying more craftsmanship Uh, yeah I'm just wondering yeah Yeah, for for sure you know that whole idea of circular fashion people you know like giving it putting it back out there and then people taking it into their lives and then and keeping it go round and round I think that's brilliant and that's great and yes vintage has never been hotter, although it, it has been pretty hot for a while. I mean, I was wearing vintage back in the 70s. You know, there, there are all these great shops. I remember flying down to Rio and, and Divine Decadence, and just all, Amelia Earhart. There was a great uh, vintage uh, shop uh, in Toronto. They're just, and now, especially with, you know, you, you can buy vintage online. I mean, we're talking about bringing vintage to TSC. And that, wow. you know, you think, well, that's pretty hard because you've just got one off items like how do you do that but i do think there's a way of doing that and i think it it is what people want so i think that's great um without question too just because of the the state of the planet i mean we're all so sensitive to that and we're seeing so many wonderful new uh things done in the sustainability arena vintage being part of that arena as well but in terms of uh, the production of uh new fabrications uh, out of old stuff it just happened to be lying around. I mean, I just heard about this one new Canadian label that uh, uses old fishnet to make beautiful, beautiful garments. Uh, And then certainly, um, you know, people are, 
water bottles. And, you know, we're seeing so much of that. You know, people like Stella McCartney has, you know, really been a, a great uh, trailblazer in that field. So I, I'm very, very um, excited by, by that whole movement. And I think it's something that uh, just makes obviously perfect sense for the planet. But in terms of, you know, if you're talking about a kind of, um, uh, you know, a silhouette or a, a style of dress. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole athleisure thing, which was really big pre pandemic, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just sort of continues to escalate. Certainly the whole idea of luxury loungewear, um, never been hotter, never been more important, never been a bigger story. And there's some beautiful things going on in that arena, but also the whole idea of the, you know, people, you have more time now. So you have time to really sit there and savor and appreciate. So the artisanal aspect of uh, craftsmanship and clothing, uh, I think that as well um, is something that's going to really escalate. Certainly our appreciation for it has never been greater. And uh, I, I hope that's something that is not going to go away. You know what? I think we're looking at clothes that are comfortable, first and foremost. But comfortable doesn't have to mean sloppy. Comfortable because we want to feel good in our own skin. You know, that being said, I definitely am going to be, I've heard a lot of women say, I'm never getting back into my stilettos again. Well, I can't wait. I do agree. They they were not the most comfortable footwear, (laughs) but uh, boy, they gave me a real boost. Uh, You know, something about putting on a pair of high heels and you you just really... uh, (laughs) <laughs> you go to a whole other place. But I think that's important. That's something I miss. Oh. Can't wait to get my heels back on. <laughs> yeah, I really hope things can get somewhat back to normal with the vaccine and, you know, there will be events again and people gathering. And I know, I mean, we spoke a few days ago and you were saying before COVID, sometimes we would be in a position where we say, oh my goodness, another event I have to go to. There's so many of them, I'm tired. And now we're just craving anything that's face to face. I know, I know, I know whoever could have imagined, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly glad now that I did run around as much as I did run around the world and run around to parties and go to a lot of openings and go to, because now, you know, that you don't go to anything. It's like, oh, you know, it's, it's like that Joni Mitchell song, you know, big yellow taxi, you you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like, wow. There, uh, there was a lot of cool stuff going on and let's hope uh, that uh, that a lot of it comes back, you know, maybe not in the same way, maybe not to the same degree, but uh, my, my heart aches for the restaurant scene. That's for sure. And I hear so many restaurants will not be able to open again. That's just horrifyingly sad. Yeah. Well, I hope the entrepreneurs can certainly pick things up. Um, I know there'll be a capital mm-hmm. loss, which could, you know, limit that, but, but there could be, but, you know, opportunities, but, and I wanted to switch back into fashion a little bit. Um, I, I live in the Bloor Yorkville area in Toronto, and I've noticed that in the last few years, uh, the display windows in some of the stores have changed in terms of, you know, when you were doing, I, so I used to watch fashion television, you were hosting it, say in the nineties, uh, fashion, certainly there was a level of glamor and formality and design. Uh, things changed to now where, you know, you got Balenciaga and Givenchy, uh, even Valentino doing things like, you know, hoodies and sneakers and, and, and fashion did take a real casual turn I said, in the last three to four years? Well, the streetwear um, movement w- was incredibly strong and continues to be. Um, but that being said, there's still, you know, I don't know if you caught any of the couture shows uh, just last month, but mm-hmm. wow, I, you know, there's some phenomenal stuff 
being created and there's beautifully extravagant. I know we're, we're at this particular time, people are going to wear that stuff, but I think there is definitely a crowd that have those deep pockets that really, you know, want those special, special museum quality uh, pieces. And, and it, it, it works for some reason. I mean, they still have those uh, couture clients for sure, but the streetwear thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's great. It's fun. It, it's got an intergenerational vibe to it. And I think people are really like, you know, you know, it's great. A 70 year old can kind of dress the same way as a 17 year old, you know, in a way. I mean, why not? You know, if it, if it, if it fits, if you're the right body type and, you know, you can be very, uh, very chic running to and fro your yoga class or whatever. I think that's great. And I think that uh, it's just a, a movement that, uh, that made a lot of sense for our fast paced times and uh, the way we're living. And now it makes a lot of sense for the, you know, the, the kind of informal feel to uh, the way we're living. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a, a suit coat here, so I don't look totally terrible. And I'm wearing, well, they're Balenciaga, but I'm wearing sweatpants. So they're, <laughs> which is something I've never wear to the office before back, you know, when I was a lawyer. So it definitely not. Well, I mean, I think lawyers can get away with more now, but yeah, no, I mean, fashion has certainly changed. And uh, I, I wonder if, as we see this disruption in society, if we'll see a movement back towards more conceptual fashion, uh, something that we would have seen in decades past where designers created something that was beautiful and, uh, but also had a formality to it because uh, the you know, the streetwear trend I saw was, it was shocking when you look at how Balenciaga was and then how, you know, I'll, I'll walk by, say, the whole Renfrew windows downstairs from where I live. And this is menswear in this case, where I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is just so different. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. casual. I know, I know young people, uh, not with a lot of money who will save money to buy a hoodie, say from a G, from Givenchy, uh, which isn't something, you know, I'm 44. So I'm remembering when I was a kid, luxury brands were a little bit, it was more rare. Not everyone owned something from like maybe maybe oh, somebody owned something from Louis. it's really changed yeah i mean we, we've got far more uh you know high-end brand stores in canada than we we had you know in the in the 90s and in the 2000s oh, for sure oh for sure yeah i mean i remember you know when you know the first luxury store on uh bloor street oh we had a ysl store you know back in the day Laurent had a, a store on Bloor Street as well, that I think Christine Griffin was uh, running. There, you know, the, so there have always been, uh, you know, a slow progression of these luxury brands infiltrating our cities, and it's great to see a proliferation of them now. Because why not? I mean, it's there. But, you know, that's not to say that the H and M's of the world are are really going anywhere too. Although I heard the Big Gap store at the corner of Bloor and Bay just uh, closed down. That's kind of sad but i mean there it, it it's a high low mix you know and and viva la difference and and i love it there is something for everyone you know there's something for everyone and um i hate the snobbery of a street though that you know is only reserved for a certain kind of shop i mean the more the merrier i'd love to see more you know vintage stores crop up and and listen there's so many empty shops now it's on a street like Bloor Street and, and on many of the great retail streets of our nation, I'm sure a lot of interesting new shops will be moving in. Yeah. Things that we expected. Well, I think what's interesting is up on Yorkville Avenue, which is the block north of me here right now, um, Russell Oliver, uh, the cash man, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> also a TV personality, is opening a store. Um, he's told me it's going to be high end. He's going to have luxury brands. Uh, he's already had a store on Young Street that uh, some of his wife's Birkin ba- Hermes Birkin bags are in there. <laughs> <laughs> They're Why not? I, I couldn't believe it. You know, the real, real, like what a chic place that is. Like this, well, the, I've been to the store in LA and it's like, it's almost like a gallery the way these vintage pieces are displayed, almost like you're in some kind of little fashion museum. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's really great too. Yeah. Yeah. I think things are changing. You, like you mentioned the vacancies on the streets in, in Canadian cities. I think there's going to be an opportunity for new brands to come about uh, and, and even new concepts and not just cannabis. I say that because <laughs> across from me again, you know, Tokyo smoke has leased a space in a very prominent location that, you know, was being looked at by Valentino and Isaiah and Isaiah ended up just taking the pink tartan space nearby, but uh, big changes seem to be coming to, to retail in Canada and uh, um, stepping back just to, a few years, we saw some real interesting disruptions in the fashion space when Nordstrom and Saks Fifth Avenue made moves into Canada. Those were those were huge moves. And I know that some of the existing retailers in Canada for a while anyways, felt a little bit threatened by that. Mm-hmm. And now how do you think it's going? Well, yeah, well, from what I've seen, um, the retailers that may have felt threatened are actually doing OK. I mean, I'll, I'll name them because it's it's good news for them. It's it's Holt Renfrew and Harry Rosen. Uh, you know, Holt yeah. Renfrew would have more of a focus on women's wear, but certainly as men's wear and more casual uh, as opposed to, you know, Harry Rosen, high end, beautiful men's wear, maybe a little bit more formal, but certainly have gotten into the casual wear space. I've got to say, Craig, I can only hope and pray and I hope that. Many, many other Canadians are along, you know, with me on this one, that we really become increasingly conscious of supporting our Canadian retailers. I think it's it's a paramount importance right now. And it kind of made me sick to think that uh, so many of our Canadian retailers were falling by the wayside. And so many American retailers have been moving in, you know, I guess thinking, oh, there's gold in them, there are hills, and they're all kind of invading Canada. I mean, I just, ah, I was not happy about that. I'm not, you know, like, okay, you want to say welcome to everyone, the more the merrier, competition's good, and all that stuff. But no, we're Canadians, you know, we got to support each other. Like if we don't, who will? I mean, that's like my, my whole thing of supporting Canadian fashion from the get-go. I mean, you know, wow. I was so, so honored that I I got the order of Canada for doing just that, you know, Mm -hmm. support. And I always used to say to people like, go to your closet, open your closet, look at the labels in there. How many of them are Canadian? Okay. Maybe a lot of them aren't actually made in Canada, but at least designed by Canadians, like, you know, produced by Canadian companies i mean that is that is so important to always keep that in mind because we're you know yes and now we're proving to ourselves that you know we can cut it you know we are just on par with any great international uh fashion label like we we have the the ability to do that so yeah i I just want to see more and more of that especially in the retail space there's so few a great Canadian retailers, uh, you know, on that scale left, like, like a Holtz or, or Harry Rosen. I mean, with so many, uh, so many have suffered uh, just such a shame. And, you know, and you look at and the bays, you know, that's an American run company for the most part. It's really, you know, it employs a lot of Canadians, which is great, but I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't really think of it as a Canadian company anymore, even though it's 
started out to be a legendary company. Mm-hmm. So we just have to hope and pray that uh, our Canadian uh, retailers will weather these uh, particular storms and, and really come out on top because, it, but it's up to us. It really is up to uh, the consumers to support our own. No, absolutely. And we, you know, over the years, again, I was doing some research over the holidays. Uh, we used to have retailers like Creed's and we had Shea Catherine and Simpsons. Oh. Things, you know, things have changed. We, we lost some of these retailers and it's, it's too bad because I, I'm not sure if you had much experience in the area of, because Creed's shut in about 1990 or 91, I think it was. Oh, but. Creed. Well, we started our show in 1985 mm-hmm. and I had some wonderful uh, interviews. I remember, uh, Anuka May used to be uh, the spokesperson for Ungaro and uh, they were carried at Creed's and she came to Creed's and I got to talk to her there. And, uh, you know, it was Creed's was just like Le Dernier Creed in in retail in this country. It was like the chicest place. It was just a wonderful, wonderful place. Wow. Uh, Yeah, that was sad when that shut down. What year was that? I think it was 90 or 91 when it closed. I think it was 1990. I'd have to check on that. But, But, you know, like my idea of luxury, you know, as a girl growing up in this country, you know, Creed's like was almost like at the top of the list. I mean, Holtz, of course, too. And, you know, and then there was the room at the, at uh, the Bay. uh, Sorry, it's not now it's the Bay. It was at uh, Simpsons, right? It was um, the room Mm -hmm. was an incredible place uh, too. Um, You know, but you, you just knew those were like the, the jewels in the crown. Um, and we were so proud uh, to have places like that. And yeah, of course, Shea Catherine, what a great, uh, great retailer uh, Catherine Hill was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, she but, passed last year, yeah. Yeah, no, I know, very sad. But, you know, Millie, um, who also passed uh, not long ago, again, brilliant, brilliant woman, and her Millie's shop that originated in Hamilton mm-hmm. and dressed some incredible, you know, now they have a beautiful store uh, still, you know, on Avenue Road. Hopefully our retailers like that can uh, continue on for sure. But that's, uh, you know, that's my idea of of luxury, you know, when it can really come out of this country by people that, you know, put it out there. I think that's, that's great. I mean, you know, like you can go into a, a Givenchy boutique or a Valentino boutique or a Chanel boutique, like anywhere in the world and like, okay, that's nice. Okay, fine. You know, you know what you're going to see and you know what you're going to get. But uh, I always love the, uh, the editorial take that, uh, that our Canadian uh, retailers uh, in the luxury realm, uh, had on on merchandise there's so much history thank you so much Jeannie Becker Uh, this has been part one we're gonna have a part two of this uh, podcast here so thank you so much for joining us talking about Canadian retail the future um, with secondhand circular economy thank you so much again my absolute pleasure nothing I like talking about more (laughs) (laughs) and that concludes part one of our exclusive interview with Jeannie Becker And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. Thank you everyone for listening. And until next time.